Welcome to the sermon webcast of Good News Lutheran Church of Mount Horeb, Wisconsin. The following sermon was preached on Sunday, December 30th, 2018, on the basis of Luke 2, verses 41 through 52. So I'm quite certain that by now, all of the presents have been opened, but I'm also guessing that maybe some of them haven't been used. As I mentioned to the kids, there are some presents that require quite a bit of setup and assembly before we can actually use them. In fact, this year my big Christmas present was an indoor trainer for my bicycle. So I picked it up at the store, brought it home, was so excited to use it for my very first ride. But first I had to take it out of the box, and then I had to put it together. I had to make a few adjustments on my bike so that it could fit with the trainer. I had to mount it to the trainer. I had to install that little computer I got that tells me how fast I'm going, even though I'm just pedaling there in place in the basement. I had to program the computer. Finally, 90 minutes later... I'm able to ride it for the very first time. Some gifts require quite a bit of setup and assembly. Some gifts that we get even require us to learn even more than that. For our daughter Addison this year, the big gift was a sewing kit and a small beginner's sewing machine. And she was so excited, so thrilled when she opened them up. But of course, she doesn't really know how to use any of those things quite yet. She got those things so that she could learn. And of course, learning takes time and patience and effort, which is sometimes a little bit tough for an eight-year-old girl to do. Sometimes before we can ever use a gift, certainly before we can use it properly, we need to learn a lot about it. We need to ask questions like, what is this for? How does it work? How is it going to benefit me? Those are questions that we naturally ask about the gifts that we receive, and they are questions that we also need to ask about the gift that God gave us at Christmas, this baby whose birth we celebrated just five years days ago. In fact, our answer to those questions will determine what we, what we make of this gift and how we use it. Whether it's the kind of gift that we hang on for years and years and years to come and benefit from throughout our whole lives, or whether it's the kind of gift that quickly ends up on the shelf somewhere, out of sight, out of mind, doing nothing more for us other than collecting dust. In fact, maybe a quick comparison between the number of people in our country who were in church on Christmas versus the number of people who are probably in church today would maybe at least cause us to ask the question that even though everyone was really excited for Christmas, everyone's really excited to receive this gift that God gives, maybe, just maybe, we don't all quite understand why this gift is so important. Well, thankfully, you're here. And at least it looks like you're paying attention so far, which is great. Because Jesus himself has something very important that he wants to teach us in these verses. As we look at these verses from Luke chapter 2, we're going to see the good news that Jesus is a gift that comes with instructions. Instructions that he himself will provide and instructions that we need to be willing to receive. So we've got four Gospels in the Bible, four books that tell the story of Jesus' life. And even though we've got four whole stories of Jesus' life, This event that's in front of us today is the one and only episode that we have from the childhood of Jesus. And even that one single episode still raises some suspicious eyebrows. And here's why. See, very often when someone grows up to be very famous and important, very little is known about their childhood. And there's a reason for that. It's because when they're a child, no one really knows that they're going to grow up to be famous and important. And so no one is sitting there taking every picture, writing down every last detail. But then, once they grow up to be famous and important, people sometimes feel the need to go back and sort of fill in the gaps. 
invent stories about them, embellish stories about them as a way of indicating, you know, even from a very young age, we could tell he was going to be something very, very special. And believe it or not, people have done this with Jesus. There are Gospels, there are accounts of Jesus' life that were written a century or more after the four that we have in the Bible that have stories that are made up, that are invented about Jesus. Stories that make him look, well, make him look a little bit more like you and me than the perfect, sinless Son of God. Stories of Jesus using his divine powers to pull pranks on the neighborhood kids and engage in other sort of immature hijinks. In fact, stories that kind of make Jesus look like Bart Simpson with superpowers more than anything else. But you take one look at this story and you can tell it's not that kind of story. If someone were looking to simply advance a narrative about Jesus, this isn't the kind of story that you would tell. In fact, from what Luke tells us about the research that he did in advance of writing his gospel and from the very specific and personal details that are found in these opening chapters, most people assume that before writing his gospel, Luke actually sat down with Jesus' mother Mary and interviewed her to find out what his birth was like and what his childhood was like. And all of that means that as we look at this one episode from the childhood of Jesus, out of all the things that Mary could have recalled, out of all the things that she could have told Luke, this is the one event that stuck out in her mind. And it stuck out in very specific detail. We're told that it was the Passover festival. So not just some random family vacation that they were on, not just one of the several festivals that required devout Jews to go to Jerusalem on a pilgrimage. There were three of them per year, actually. No, it was the Passover festival. It was the annual celebration where God's people remembered how 1,500 years earlier they had been slaves in Egypt, but God had brought them out of that slavery powerfully under Moses and had done so through a lamb. A lamb that was sacrificed and a lamb whose blood was spread all over the outside of the door frames of their houses to mark them as the people of God and to deliver them from death. It was the Passover festival. We're also told that Jesus was 12. Not kind of sort of young, not about to become a teenager, not middle school aged. He was 12, which meant that the very next year he was going to be 13. Shocking, I know. But there's a reason that's important. See, when a Jewish child became 13, that was when they first became obligated to keep God's Old Testament law, including the obligation to go to Jerusalem for the Passover, which you knew already, believe it or not, because I'm sure you're familiar with the term bar mitzvah, which happens to a Jewish boy when he turns 13 years old. And that term, that phrase bar mitzvah, means son of the law. This is when a Jewish boy became obligated to first keep God's law. And so it's in advance of that. It's before that happened in the life of Jesus, the year before when he's 12, that this time as the family goes to Jerusalem and as they complete their religious obligations and rituals and as they prepare to head back up north to Nazareth, Jesus decides that he's going to stay behind. He's going to hang out in the temple for a few more days. He's going to hang out with the teachers of the law, the experts in God's law, and he's going to teach them a thing or two. He's going to demonstrate to them just how much he knows God's law. He's going to let Mary and Joseph head back up to Nazareth without telling them that he's staying behind. He's going to let them discover his absence. He's going to let them frantically and anxiously search for him until they finally find him there in the temple. And then when they ask him what he's been doing and why he's done this, then he's going to speak. 
Every parent remembers a child's first words, right? These aren't Jesus' first words ever. He's 12 years old again. But believe it or not, these are the first words that we have recorded of Jesus in the Bible. So if you had one of those Bibles that puts all of the words of Jesus in red letters, these are the very first words that would be printed in red ink. And I think there's a reason why Mary could recall them specifically and relay them to Luke. How when she asked Jesus, why have you treated me and your father this way? Jesus said in response, why were you searching for me? Didn't you know I had to be in my father's house? Two words that I think caused Mary to remember what Jesus said. My father. Oh yeah. This child, this boy we've been raising, he's not entirely ours. Joseph is not his biological father. This child belongs to God. God is his father. So at that festival and at that age and with those words, this is what Jesus is teaching us. That he is not just one more devout Jewish boy who needs to go to the temple. He, in fact, is the temple of God. He is God's dwelling place on earth. He is not just one more devout Jew who needs to go to Jerusalem to obey and to keep the law. Instead, he is the very fulfillment of the law. He is the one that the law is pointing ahead to. He is there to do work, not the work of sacrificing this Passover lamb that delivered him and his people from slavery in Egypt. Rather, he is there to be the Passover lamb to offer himself as a sacrifice to set the entire world free from its slavery. Now, as Americans, there aren't many words that conjure up more negative images in our mind than the word slavery. And yet, aside from all of the awful things that we think of from our American past, to be a slave really means to belong to someone else, to not be free, to not be independent, to not be able to do as you want. And the Bible tells us that by nature we are slaves to three things. We are slaves to sin, slaves to the devil, and slaves to death. And we don't like to hear that very much, but believe it or not, I can prove it. I did this with the confirmation kids a couple of weeks back. I said, if I told you to stop sinning, do you think you could do it? If I told you to never, ever, ever again lose your temper with someone or laugh at someone else's expense, if I told you never to talk back to your parents, if I told you never to believe a lie of the devil that told you that your way would be much better and much more fun than God's way, do you think you could do it? Do you think you could just stop sinning once and for all? If not, then you are a slave to sin and you are a slave to the devil who tempts you to sin. What about death? If I told you to not die... You think you could do it? If I told you that now that Christmas is over, no more candy, no more candy canes, no more sugar cookies, just healthy food. If I told you to exercise at least 30 minutes a day and and be in the absolute peak health for the rest of your life, do you think you could just not die? If not, then you are a slave to death. Thankfully, Jesus is telling us that he came for a very specific reason. He came to be the Passover lamb who would sacrifice himself to set us free from sin and death. God has given us this wonderful gift at Christmas, this gift of his son, and Jesus helps us answer those important questions. What is it for? How does it work? How does it benefit me? Jesus is a gift that comes with instructions, instructions that he himself provides, even already at the ripe old age of 12. 
And that means that you and I need to be ready and willing to receive those instructions. Even though sometimes it isn't easy and even though sometimes it actually hurts. You can imagine how it would have hurt Mary to get just even a little glimpse of this realization of this is why Jesus is here. This is what Jesus came to do. In fact, we can kind of hear it and see it in the account that Luke tells us that had been relayed to him by her. First, it's in Jesus' decision to stay behind and not tell them. Allow them to go back up to Nazareth. Can you imagine the fear and anxiety they experienced when they realized that he was lost? Oh no, we've lost the Son of God. What do we do? Can you imagine the panic? Can you imagine the anxiety? And then, and then even when they find him, and Jesus says those words that he said, I had to be in my Father's house. Oh, that's right. Put yourself in Mary's shoes for a minute. All of us as parents have dreams and aspirations for our children. In fact, we can picture so much of their lives, even from a very early age. We can picture them growing up and turning into adults. We can picture them getting married, having kids, starting a family of their own. We can picture them and how their gifts and abilities and their unique personalities are going to be put to use in their education and in their career. And I'm sure to some degree Mary had pictures for how Jesus' life was going to go too. And then little by little, she found out that none of that would be the case. She wouldn't see her son walk across a stage in a cap and gown to get a diploma. She wouldn't see her son standing in front of a church saying, I do, to some lovely bride. Instead, she would have to watch her son hung from a cross. She would have to watch as her son's life slowly and agonizingly was taken from him until he died. Can you imagine as she realized that more and more, as she learned this lesson more and more, how much that stung, how much that would have hurt. We might think that Mary is in a little bit of a unique relationship to Jesus as his mother, which is true to some degree. But remember that Jesus is a gift that God gave to the entire human race. He gave that gift to us as well, which means that we too need to receive, need to listen carefully to the instructions that Jesus gives. You see, it's all too easy for us to open up this Christmas present from God and think to ourselves, oh, I know what this is. I know what this is for. I know how this works and how it will benefit me in my life. I know Jesus is here to be my magic genie. He's here to grant my every wish, especially when I I really need him to bail me out, especially when I've kept my end of the bargain and followed his rules. Or I know Jesus is here to be my best friend. He's here to get me through the difficult days of life. He's here so that even when everyone else in my life seems to be critical and judgmental and I'm feeling worthless about myself, Jesus is there to tell me that I'm perfect just the way I am and whatever it is that might make me happy, I should just go for it. Or I know Jesus is here to be my own personal spiritual guru or role model or at least one among many that I have. I mean, he always did the right thing. He always said, the right thing. He's right up there with Mother Teresa and Gandhi and Martin Luther King Jr. And if I could just act like more, act more like all of those people, then I would be a better citizen of planet Earth. Now, it's not that Jesus isn't some of those things or that Jesus can't be some of those things for us. But if that's all Jesus is, then I have a feeling that very quickly Jesus will be one of those presents that ends up on the shelf collecting dust. He's there when we need him, occasionally, from time to time. Maybe even every now and then, by some random circumstances, the stars will align and we'll actually think about him and want to spend some time with him. But, but really, other than that, he's sort of out of sight, out of mind. 
You and I also need to listen very carefully to the instructions that Jesus gives us. And in fact, we have a little bit of an advantage over Mary. As Mary relates these details to Luke, she's actually able to look back and remember her experience as she went through this. And she's able to admit, I had no idea what he was saying. I didn't understand his words. All she could do was treasure it up in her heart. All she could do was kind of put it away for later. And it wasn't until later, after the entire story had unfolded, after she did, in fact, watch him die and watch him rise from the dead, as she sat there and told Luke that she saw, she knew how it all fit together. And friends, that's the perspective that you and I share. We know the whole story already. We know that Jesus has offered himself as a sacrifice, as that true Passover lamb, that he has, in fact, set us free from our slavery to sin. That even as we continue to struggle with that sin, we can know that that sin has been paid for, and we can know that one day we will be able to leave that sin behind. It will stay dead and buried in our tombs. Speaking of tombs, Jesus has also set us free from our slavery to death. Our tombs now have two doors, an exit and an entrance. And even though one day we will walk through that entry door, we will in all likelihood still die. We know that that's not the end. There's a way out. There's a door out. And once we walk through that door at the resurrection of all flesh, only life and no more death awaits. And friends, what that means, if that's what Jesus came to do and how Jesus works, then then here are the only specific times that you will need Jesus in your life. You will only need Jesus when you've had another week full of sin. Another week when you've disappointed yourself and disappointed others. Another week when you haven't lived up to your own standards, much less lived up to God's. And you'll only need Jesus when the consequences of that sin creep into your life, when death invades as it so often does when you start to feel the aches and pains of growing old, when your health starts to decline, when someone you love gets seriously, even terminally ill, when someone you love dies and you are completely filled to the brim with grief, or when, for you, death seems to be not that far away. Those are the only times you'll need Jesus. In other words, if that's what Jesus came to do, if he came to be our Passover lamb, then the only time we need Jesus is all the time. In fact, as we mark the passage of time, as one year ends and another year begins, it's kind of a good opportunity for us to assess just what have we made of this Christmas gift that God gave us, this gift of Jesus. Next Sunday, we'll be starting a brand new season of the church here known as Epiphany. It's a season in which, in in more ways, God, Jesus reveals himself as who he is and what he came to do. We'll also be starting another Bible class in which we explore some of the false alternatives that people make up and for which people use Jesus in their lives. It's a wonderful opportunity to recommit yourself to making Jesus a priority in your life. It's a wonderful opportunity to ask, what have I done with this gift? Where have I put it in my life? And friends, the wonderful thing is that as we ask ourselves that question, we will never have to wonder where Jesus is or what he is up to. He will be exactly where we need him, doing the very work that his father sent him to do, doing the very work that we need him to do most. Amen. For more information about Good News Lutheran Church, visit www.goodnewslc.org.